Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the risen Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, like uh, many people who do what I do, uh, today's passage from the Gospel of John has figured very prominently into the story of my own life, uh, not only because it speaks about ministry and about the feeding of God's flock, but because this passage, at my request, from John 21 was read on the day of my ordination, and also at every single one of the installations that I experienced into new ministries, first in Baltimore, uh, then in Laurel, and then in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I think that while you'll agree that uh, it is a, a great passage for the inauguration of a new ministry, I'm also here to assure you today uh, that it is not one that is reserved only for the ordained. In fact, uh, with the Spirit's help and guidance, I want to convince you today that this one is also for you, no matter what it is that you do or what might be going on in the story of your life. Uh, but first, let me uh, throw it into reverse and back up just a little bit and give you uh, some of the context uh, for this very uh, short, seemingly simple, and obviously redundant little interchange between uh, Jesus and the fisherman Peter, which takes place after the resurrection on the shores of Lake Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. It is after Easter, and John reports to us that five of the 11 remaining apostles of Jesus, along with two unnamed disciples, are out on the lake fishing. And even though it's the middle of the night, which of course was the prime time to fish, uh, when the sun was down and the fish were a lot closer uh, toward the surface of the water, that night they didn't catch anything. And so they come in empty-handed at daybreak, kind of like Easter itself. And there on the beach they find none other than the risen Christ who tells them to go back out and this time throw the net off the right side of the boat, which they do, and when they do, they catch all kinds of fish. In fact, numbering 153, according to John's calculation, so that once again, the carpenter tells the fishermen how to fish and does so with great success. So they come back the second time with their great catch because of the word of Christ, and they gather with him on the beach around a charcoal fire for a big breakfast consisting of bread and, you guessed it, fresh fish. And that brings us right up to the passage that you heard today, when in the context of that breakfast and, and in the context of the food that was provided by the word of the risen Lord, Jesus asks Peter three questions, or more precisely, one question, three times over again. And that question, as you just heard a moment ago, was, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Sounds like the beginning of a song from Fiddler on the Roof. Do you love me? And every time, as you also heard, Peter answers the question uh, basically the same way. And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. To which Jesus then says, well, then feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Lambs being a metaphor for children. And for those who are new to the faith, sheep representing adults and those who came to know Jesus as the promised Messiah of Israel. 
But with that very short interchange in the Gospel of John after the resurrection, it's pretty easy to get the idea that you know, loving Jesus means loving people. And it means feeding them with the words of God's grace and truth for their lives. And if, if that's what you think is going on in John 21, you would be right. But you'd only be partially right. Because there's a little more to this, to this story than actually meets the eye. In fact, there are a couple of things that are going on in this passage that I believe have the power to make a great difference in the story of your life, no matter what might happen to be going on and reach even more deeply into your heart, no matter what kind of shape it might happen to be in as you sit right here today. And the first thing is that, as you may know, uh, the Greek New Testament has more than one word for our English word love. In fact, it has four different words. There is, for example, uh, the word storge. That is the love that a parent would have for a child. That's family love. It's, it's that kind of love. And then there's the word eros, which is intimate love or sexual attraction. It's uh, ooh la la. And it's where we get the word erotic. And then there's the word phileo, and that is the, uh, the affection and the fondness that friends would have for each other. And it's, it's where we get the name of the city of Philadelphia from phileo, for the city of brotherly love. And then at the top of the list is the word agape. And that word is defined as Grace. That is the selfless, overwhelming, overflowing, unconditional love that comes without regard for what might come back in return and often involves great sacrifice on the person of the lover. Storge, eros, phileo, and agape, all of which we translate into the word love. So here's the thing. At that breakfast around that charcoal fire, when Jesus turns to Peter and says, do you love me? The word he uses is the word agape. And you just heard what that means. When Peter answers the question, he does not use the word agape. He uses the word phileo. Lord, you know I'm your friend. You know that I love you. To which Jesus says, well, then go feed my lambs. But then he asks him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? But Peter answers the same way, and he says to Jesus, Lord, I phileo you. See what's going on here? Jesus and Peter are not using the same word. Jesus is using agape. Peter is using a phileo. What's happening? What's going on here? Well, what's going on is that this young Galilean fisherman, who so often got it wrong in his relationship with Jesus, who so often overstated his faith, overstated his spiritual ability and and horsepower, in this chapter, after the resurrection, at breakfast around a charcoal fire, He finally gets it right. 
Because in answering this question the way he answered it, Peter was telling the risen Lord the truth. Lord, you know that I love you, but that I will never love you the way you love me. With your gracious, selfless, overwhelming, overflowing, unconditional, completely pure, flawless love that sent you all the way to the cross. And yet Jesus asks the question, you know, one more time. This is the third time he asks it once again. Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time, the third time, Jesus is the one who changes the word. And instead of using agape, Jesus uses the word phileo. And Peter answers once again just the same. Lord, you know everything. You know I'm your friend. You know that I love you. But one thing that I finally get on this side of the resurrection is that you love me more. And that's what's going on in John chapter 21. Even though the whole thing pretty much gets lost in English. But friends, there's one more thing that's going on in this uh, post-resurrection passage from uh, John chapter 21. And it's something that also can figure very significantly into the story of your life. And it can uh, drive it even more deeply into your heart, no matter what kind of shape it happens to be in today. If you notice in verse 17 that when Jesus asks this question for the third time, John reports to us that Peter was hurt. Why was that? Did he think that somehow he was getting it wrong again in his relationship with Jesus? Did he think that somehow he was supposed to match Jesus word for word? Maybe. But there's a pretty good and widely accepted guess at a far more compelling answer. And it has to do with the idea that in John 21, around a charcoal fire, Jesus asked Peter the fisherman that vital question precisely three times in order to correspond to the three times Peter denied knowing Jesus on the night before the crucifixion when he was questioned in the courtyard of Caiaphas the high priest. And you can find it three chapters earlier in the Gospel of John. So that in John 18, you have Peter denying Jesus three times. And then in John 21, you have Jesus creating a moment of reconciliation three times. And so what's really going on in John 21 is the reinstatement of a broken man. It's the rehabilitation of a Galilean fisherman. If you'll pardon the expression, it's the ordination. It is the installation of a deeply flawed follower of Jesus who is given this new chance and this new start at a brand new ministry by the one who says, no, you go feed my sheep, you tend my lambs, you feed my lambs, you get back into this because you and I are completely reconciled. You will not be cast out. You will not be left behind by me. 
And every single individual thing, including that shameful night in the courtyard of Caiaphas the high priest, has been forgiven. Period. Because, you know, when you stop to think about it, you, you can actually begin to understand why, even in the context of, of the joy of the resurrection, that Peter might have still been just broken down with guilt. Why? Because, you know, this was the one who said to Jesus, you know, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. Those other guys are going to run, but I'm never going to run. And this is the one who denies knowing Jesus at all. And so you can understand why it might have broken him down. But now in the context of a breakfast meeting on a beach, everything is changed. And this one who denied knowing Jesus is completely transformed, and, and my guess is that maybe this was really the moment, you know, when his complete, full transformation uh, was made from a fisherman into a shepherd because of the power of agape. And this one making it the best and biggest breakfast of all. So, what does that say to you in this third week of Easter? Well, you know. You're going to have to answer that question for yourself. But what it says to me in the story of my own life is that number one, the only food out there that is going to feed your soul is the food that comes from the words and the promises of God and of his grace in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, you know, that food, that word can come to you in all kinds of ways. It can come to you in all kinds of uh, circumstances. It can come through all sorts of people. But it, it ultimately originates with the risen Christ. And if there's some spiritual malnutrition that's going on, you know, if you've been fishing for something that is not satisfying you at your deepest need, then the risen Christ is inviting you to come and gather with him for the food of a lifetime around the light of his presence and his love for you. Number two, this passage tells me that you do not have to be a perfect person in order to serve the living God. And that is why I picked it for my ordination. And for every one of my installations, Because our God is in the business of restoration and of giving a new start and a new beginning to broken, hurting, guilty people who sometimes act like they don't even know him. Look what happened to Peter. I mean, you know, here's this Galilean fisherman who so often gets it wrong in his relationship with Jesus, who so often overblows and overestimates his his faith in his spiritual horsepower. And he is reinstated after denying even knowing Jesus. And he is sent on a mission to become one of the greatest leaders that our faith has ever known. I mean, the guy was the leader of the church in the city of Rome, of all places. So you don't know, you know, what can become of you when Jesus loves you and you love him back, even if it's not perfectly. 
And then last but not least, uh, this passage uh, tells me, and I hope it tells you too, that whoever you are, if you're one of God's lambs or one of his sheep, that God has a mission and a purpose for every single one of us to carry that food out into the world. And in the name of the risen Christ, I invite you, you know, to find that place and that way of doing it. If you haven't already, I mean, come. Gather around the light of God's presence and feed on his goodness for you. Get with a church where you can serve in spite of your flaws and in spite of all your failures and then find some way to feed somebody else in your life with the goodness of the risen Christ. Because, friends, it's the third week of Easter and the upper room in Jerusalem is empty. The disciples have left the building and they have hit the beach to have breakfast with the Lord of life and to join that great adventure of catching people and feeding sheep and lambs like you and me so that together you and I and by God's grace many more can enjoy the agape, the overwhelming overflowing, unconditional, no-holds-barred love of Christ for ordinary people like you and me. And then by God's grace, we can turn around and love him in return. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.